All right, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's episode. Before we get started, we'd like to let you know that the Uncommon Gem podcast is an adult content show, meaning we may go into explicit detail or say some explicit words when talking about today's subjects. We also like to inform you that we're not paid or sponsored by any of the donations or charities in the episode. We simply just are giving it a shout out and hopefully spreading the word on some good causes. Thanks again for tuning in and let's get on with the show. Episode 14 of the Uncommon Gem Podcast. What is good, y'all? Thanks for tuning in. You know, I think episode 14 might be an uncommon gem of mine. It's, it's a favorite number. I always like that number. My favorite and lucky number is four, but I always like 14. I don't know. I've always been drawn to the number 14. Also, my initials are KE, so KE14 rhymes. I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe that's all it is. I'm going to look deep into the number 14. But hey, everyone, thanks for tuning in. What a, what a fun ride has been the past couple episodes. I feel like that last episode, Luis, you know, it, it's always important to open up this dialogue with so many different people and to have someone that has actually been on the streets of the protests, I think, could have been more informative for so many people that listen to the show. So I, I really appreciate him for hopping on. But today, you know, we're, we're keeping it moving. Very honored to have this guest on. I actually reached out to this guest a couple years ago for some headshots. Headshots are personal photos that you use for, you know, acting or professional stuff, for those that don't know. And turns out he reached out very really quick and we got going to East Village and took a couple photos and we shot the shit, ate some pizza, and it was a good time. And I'm very happy to have met him that way. <laughs> Please welcome to the show, Arin Sangurai. <laughs> Thank you. It was an honor to meet you that day. It was so much fun. I remember just... Uh, shooting the shit about movies and then right. making plans to make go see movies and we never did. <laughs> um, I like to say it's because the world shut down. You know, I was actually thinking about it and I think we were actually making plans to go see A Quiet Place too. I think that was <laughs> actually yes. in the works. And of course, <laughs> that, that was like one of the first movies I got like, hey, we're not releasing Quiet Place 2. <laughs> like, That's right. That's <laughs> abs- oh my, oh man. Yeah, that really takes me back an entire year. But now, yeah, now that I remember this, we got to make plans when things are good again. I mean, I guess they're yeah. getting good, right? I mean, you're okay, they're getting actually. okay. They're getting okay. Right. You can set up bars now, so that that's step that's like step what twenty five. I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a long year, so take every victory when you can. I'm glad you mentioned this long year because for you it seemed like it's been an incredibly fast year. I mean, you you're a photographer, so you definitely go around New York. You take photos of very many comedians, very many actors. You also are, you know, very close to the Lincoln Center, so you're almost always at a lot of press events too. So. So tell us a little bit about your photography lifestyle in New York. <laughs> oh, in the past year? Yeah, well, I will say that it was a very primed to, I wouldn't say blow up in March of 2020, but it seemed like things were chugging along pretty well, have the pretty continuous work. And I was so used to, in the previous years, to not having, being broke as a joke and not having as much momentum. So once I started having it, I'm a workaholic. I really feel like you know, FOMO, like all the cliche terms that you have. There was an article a couple of months ago about how, a couple of weeks ago about the hustle and how that was detrimental to people's careers and people's lifestyles and everything and livelihoods, just mentally and emotionally. And I feel like that was kind of where I was a bit, not, not, not that I was feeling it necessarily, but I definitely felt that need to keep going and going and going. Basically I was like, you know what? I can't take a break until the world takes a break. And so March hit last year and things started shutting down and my calendar cleared. And I will say that that was, in a strange way, a weird vacation. That's how I entered the whole pandemic, thinking that it would be a couple of weeks, obviously. And, oh, we'll get back to normal by the summer. Everything will popping along and I'll be back into basements and dingy bars <laughs> and shooting, you know, these open mics or whatever would be happening. And that was definitely the exact opposite of what happened. This, uh, some craziness happened, obviously. Uh, it happened to everybody, so I'm not unique in that way. And I took a couple of months off trying to really just kind of figure things out. 
what happened after that was I had a friend reach out at the time, somebody who I had not known, uh, reached out through Instagram and asked me if I wanted to shoot a show. It was the Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. So I had been kind of out of commission for about two and a half months. Right? Am I doing the math right? I'm Asian. I should know. I should know the math, but I, you know, um, uh, uh, and it, and and at the very least, I was like, I don't know if I can truly sustain this. I'd been in my apartment the entire time, and a great friend now. His name is Aton Levine. He produces a wonderful show, Pastrami, but he has a podcast as well. I mean, can I plug other podcasts on your yeah, show? Oh, please, please. <laughs> it's called NYC is Dead. It's a fun show. He was another hilarious comedian. His name is Drexton Clemens. But at the time, as Aton reached out and he asked if I wanted to do the stand-up comedy show in Queens. And it would be the furthest I traveled out. I live in Chelsea and it felt like a field trip. It, was like, it almost felt like I was like breaking some law or something like that traveling out there and the show was truly surreal it was in the parking lot of a diner Bel Air diner and it was a stand-up comedy show where the comedian stood on a flatbed truck with a microphone on it and the audience could not roll their windows down they were listening in their cars because it was a parking lot they all had cars (laughs) and they had to tune into a radio frequency to like you know to listen to the acts and it was like a truly the most bizarre, unnerving in a way experience. Because (laughs) the other thing is, you know, you could laugh in the cars. And one of the things that I try to excel at is like getting audience reactions and you can't get them through the window of a car. And when they react, they're not supposed to honk their horns because that's also super unsettling. But the the other thing is that like, they're like, oh, if you like the comedy, you should flash your lights. Don't Mm -hmm. honk your horns, flash your lights if you like comedy, which is... Truly the most bizarre. I think that if everything had gone on the way that that show had to go at that time, I think a lot of people would have just been like, I'm out. I'm done doing comedy. (laughs) For me, as a photographer, it made me realize that like, it may not be the most good fit right now, but it's like not to wax my own carrot. But I think that, you know, in a way it's like your job is makes you a de facto anthropologist you're capturing this moment and you're there and you're present i consider it a very seminal moment in my trajectory because after that i kind of went back in and kind of like you know i got to take a minute kind of get a sense of where everything is but i had at least a lifeline to people who were trying to get out in the world i think we had met through uh you were doing improv right and like you see yeah i was was at a ucb R.I.P. UCB. Uh, <laughs> remember her, um, as I always say. But a lot of those connections that I made, a lot of those friends that I made in the previous years, they all went to Zoom. They all went online. And it, which I, I, you know, 100% could never blame anybody who I respect so deeply, people who are able to, who were able to create and find meaning in the digital format. It was really interesting to see the people who needed the the validation of the outside world i guess but like we're kind of starting to like restart that grind and i realized for me like as a photographer i wanted to be out in the world a little bit more so i was able to meet like many people who were doing park shows dipping their toe into what the new kind of paradigm of we all need to be outside we all need to be social distance we were going to live in the park, I guess, for the summer, you know? <laughs> and that's kind of like how I got back into it, basically in the middle of the summer. And honestly, have kind of been hustling nonstop ever since, really. Yeah. Please go check out our Instagram, at PhotoJuice. Literally, oh, at PhotoJuice. <laughs> and it is just so incredible because, like he said, he was capturing these moments of, you know, this weird and awkward time of comedy. But to see it is just that okay, there was good and peace in this very terrible time. There was actual moments of levity in this time. And I think you really do capture that a lot in your photos in general is just general expression. I think you definitely capture that in anyone that you take a photo of. But when you were taking pictures during those pandemic shows, definitely you captured so much of that aesthetic that this is like a dark time, but this is the the happiest moment for a lot of people in these dark times, you know? And I think I, I really respect that about the art I really respect that, too, that you mentioned that, you know, a lot of it did go virtual, but you went outside to go seek it. 
because I think that's just art begetting art, you know? I think that's just, just kind of the cycle it is. We always want artists to express themselves, and I think for you to be a photographer to, you, you know, you want to capture that moment. You want to capture those moments of real time, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I feel like the, um, the way I always put it to anybody is if the summer was the same as every other summer, I'd be spending it indoors in basements and bars. Mm-hmm. Like that's, it's, it's really like the, the silver lining in the cloud was I spent more time in Central Park this past summer than I had in the 10 years leading <laughs> up to it living in New York already, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I definitely want to intro you, but let's talk about where you came from and how you got to where you are now. Oh, okay. Uh, let me give you the bullet pointed version of it. <laughs> I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, so a suburb in South Jersey, not too far from Philadelphia, where I went to college. Uh, I went to Drexel University for film and video production. I moved up to New York in 2010, so I've been here for about 11 years, and I, I didn't leave during the pandemic. Re- real New anybody who has. Real New York. You know, like, yeah, <laughs> I guess. I guess this is where I got my bona fides. Um, but essentially, I was at a crossroads a bit when I moved up here because I wasn't getting a lot of traction doing film and video production. I was getting a little frustrated and I just wasn't able to kind of key into why. And it was around the time that people were making major motion pictures and there was a big boom for the DSLR as a video camera. Uh, there are so many movies, like I think of my favorite movies that were made. Francis Haw is the one I think of the most, uh, and that was shot on a five, a Canon 5D uh, Mark II. It's it, one of my favorite movies. Um, I think it was like I was the right age to relate to that, that emotional energy and to feel like uh, I have this plan for myself and uh, the world wants to push me in so many different directions because they don't think I have what I takes to do the thing that I have in my mind that I can't unshake myself from. And the thing I got out of that movie was <laughs> not from that movie specifically, but that was just one of the examples of a DSLR filmed uh, movie. And I basically invested in getting my own DSLR. And again, it didn't move the needle very much in, me, in terms of me getting video work, but I went to a UCB show, UCBW Upright Citizens Brigade <laughs> Wrestling Cage Match, which was Thursdays at 11 p.m. And it was at the UCB that was in Chelsea at 26th and 8th, uh, everyone's favorite RIP that space as oh, a UCB space. Such a beautiful uh, space. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took a few kind of straight pictures and the producer of it messaged me and was just like, hey, we can't pay you, but uh, if you ever want to show up with your camera. And so I just started <laughs> going. Um, little did I realize that like that show alone was the concept of the show is that the structure of it is as a, a wrestling show. So it opened with what is it? The promos with the with the heel and the you know was it the with the face and the heel and then there'd be a wrestling match and then there'd be a like another like a preview for the next week but in between there'd always be these two improv comedy teams and one would be the challenger and one would be like the champion and they would fight and one you know two enter one leap so every week it would be a new team against you know a team it was really incredible to think that one show showed me the very least, like 27 different improv teams every year, you know, <laughs> um, which is kind of like an insane amount of people to kind of see in one show. Like right. if you go to see like, you know, like Harold Knight, I mean, are we going in the weeds? Of the, this is no, not no, my no, uncommon no. gem. Improv is not my uncommon gem. I just want you to know that. <laughs> yeah, it was a weird way to kind of get like my hooks into the community because mm-hmm. I would just see everybody and because I wasn't I didn't think of it as that opportunity I didn't read as having the certain ambition that I I certainly have now I'm like a shark right now but like before that I was definitely more like oh hey you know this is fun we'll just do this because I was focusing on the film career or possibly something in production and then gradually I just kind of fell in love with photography and then the film stuff kind of went away the one key reason why is because the one thing I love about a photo more than, I wouldn't say more than production, but the one thing that I feel like I love about a, a photo is that one picture tells the story. You don't need to like 
capture a perfect moment. You capture a perfect moment with one image as opposed to, you know, five or 10 minutes of somebody's like perfect event. And I've had many shows or many things that people have told me, they're like, oh, you made this look like it was a really fun show, even though we all had a terrible time. And I was like, I had a great time. This is great. It was so much fun, like hanging out with all of you. And that was where I could kind of leave it. And that always makes me so excited and so happy. And honestly, it's like, you know, like sometimes you make your closest friends with the people in the foxhole. You make those long lasting connections, knowing that like you're able to hang with people who are trying to figure things out. It actually helped key me into the process in a way that I think that if I was, I don't know, focusing on a million other things like whether the audio was perfect or whether like you know uh someone's like delivering this perfect performance it's like no i'm just capturing this moment um and it helps kind of keep my focus and it keeps their focus and i, I love it i mean what, what's not to hate you know i do love that too man I, that's so, such a beautiful thing and i think that it really speaks to honestly like the true beauty of that community of the ucb community specifically uh so many different it's so diverse and so inclusive for so many different opportunities and careers in that specific theater, that company. And honestly, so, so many people blossom through it. And to see you blossom through it in that way is really incredible, too. So one thing we talked about when we hung out last, you were very big into karaoke. You like to sing, if I remember correctly. <laughs> How have you been filling that void in your heart, you know, in these COVID times? What's been, what's been the fix? Oh, I picked up the guitar. So I work from home. I'm a standing desk. I edit a lot of pictures. You mentioned the Lincoln Center stuff. I work for film at Lincoln Center doing um, some of their digital promos and stuff. And sometimes you just got to, you know, standing there waiting for something to export. I was going to say render, but I will say that things have changed significantly from the Final Cut Pro days where you have to wait for stuff to really process. I have my my friend's Fender, which he sold to me in like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, a while ago. And I've just been learning chords and stuff. And it's been really powering in a way that I know my neighbors fucking hate. <laughs> I've gotten I've gotten texts, I've gotten notes, I've gotten emails saying, you know, people have to work in the morning <laughs> and i've been i've been very respectful after getting that first one i could take notes well <laughs> any any notes that are like hey you got to work on that riff better also shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs> no at this point i just if i keep my window open i hear like a block party or something down the street and i hear them playing yeah. a song i'll just be like oh i should learn that song <laughs> i'd be like oh you want me to accompany you that's perfect and uh, i imagine it couldn't be any worse for anybody i mean i i'm very fortunate to have very tolerant neighbors and we'll, who only reach out when <laughs> things are truly heinous. <laughs> i mean what's, what's the one song you always have in your back pocket what's the, what's the one song you always go to for oh. a karaoke moment Okay, yeah. If I want to impress, I have two songs, but uh, the one that I usually pop off with is uh, Oh Darling by the Beatles. Oh darling, please believe me, I'll never do you no harm. Which is a great, I mean, it's just a grip it and rip it song. Like it's so, so the, it's a great, a great backstory too. Paul McCartney apparently recorded it over four days because like, basically it's like a, you really, you really shred. It, it's like a, a do you, I, can I, I'll, I'll just do the opening kind of riff. Is that cool? Yeah. I don't want to, I don't want to blow out this, but basically he's just got like this scratchy, like high, like, Oh, darling. Like that kind of like really, I, cracked a little bit on the top there <laughs> but essentially um he wanted to record it over a period of days so that his voice could get that kind of like rasp in it oh, wow. and kind of like that true energy i mean that's from wikipedia i assume that's true <laughs> but yeah it's a truly incredible and then the other one that like if i really like if i want to kind of be like a like a back pocket like throw it throw it out i grew up in the time of new metal so hell yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I have a couple of uh, I have a couple of, like System of a Down songs. If I went back tomorrow to a karaoke bar, I probably would do uh, Chop Suey because that's like <laughs> such a fun. <laughs> it's just such a fun, like ridiculous 
It's a ridiculous song. But you get really primal with it, and I think that that is—it's good fun. Certain songs, you know, they—they they just are kind of like the ones you want to see in karaoke. Sometimes you didn't know you wanted to see. Mm-hmm. Definitely, that is now on my list. Oh uh, man, I have to record it. Oh, oh, or you should just—we'll meet up. We'll do it exactly. Ne- yeah, next time we, we do karaoke in a post-COVID world. For me, my my two songs, I would say, are either "I Would Die for You" by Prince. easy that's what you want out of a karaoke song <laughs> prince goes over so well prince always feels like uh, sitting in someone else's seat yeah for me at least like yeah. i i'm just like somebody in this room like prince obviously would blow everybody out of the water but someone in this room could do better than me so i i, I always get i get gun shy with, with prince <laughs> And well, what's the other guilty one? pleasure of mine is just Shania Twain's How Do I Live? I don't know. It's just a fun <gasps> song to sing. <laughs> uh, with the Con Air? With the Con Air? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that is a good one. How do I Right, folks, as you know, we always take time to mention a donation or shout out a service that we want to give some love to. Today, Irene was so gracious enough to bring one to our attention. You mind telling us what we're talking about today? Uh, yes. So I will say this. One of the amazing things that has happened over the past year is I've been doing these portrait meetups. Basically, it started as a way to kind of reconnect with the comedy community that I had not been able to see in a way that would be uh, safe in a public uh, area and for people to also relink. I did a bunch of them over the last summer and they were a big hit, but I've been taking a minute before starting them up this year. Sorry if this is a long intro. Basically, what compelled me to do Portrait Meetup this year was the events that happened in Georgia that were Asian, you know, like the, uh, and basically anti-Asian kind of sentiment and violence against Asians. And, you know, obviously being Asian, being Thai, it kind of hit close to home. I grew up in a household with three very incredible women and just think that, you know, it could happen to, you know, it just very much, I could project, uh, you know, fears onto that. So uh, the first uh, portrait meetup that I did this year was for groups that kind of support AAPI and Asian related causes. And so in terms of the research that I did, I actually found um, as a fantastic resource, uh, this group called Safe Walks NYC. And the mission seemed, you know, like very modest and very simple, just a way to keep New Yorkers safe. It wasn't specifically pointed and directed towards Asians. It was just, that's how I discovered it. And I thought as a, you know, genius idea, why haven't people thought of it before? And what I didn't realize is that people had thought of it before. And actually people I know now I realize have been working with them for several months before I discovered it, <laughs> uh, such as the host of the Uncommon Gem podcast, <laughs> Kevin. Hey, yo, that's me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, for me, like I was telling him before the show that I felt very, I felt a little ill-equipped to talk about it, but I felt even more so once I found out that like he's been, <laughs> you said you started working with SafeWalks NYC since uh, January? That's correct. So I, it is a volunteer service. It started when Peter, the founder, he went to the Morgan Avenue station because several women were attacked and the police didn't show up until after the fact to then question what went happened. So Peter, in a stand of solidarity, he went to this station where people were being attacked, stood outside and said, hey, I will help anyone get home if they need to help to get home. Literally with just his scooter and his cell phone and his cigars. Literally, that's all he had on him. And from there, that's where it blossomed into what it is. What 
I really like about it is that it is that volunteer service. It is those people that live in the neighborhoods themselves offering to help their fellow neighbors. It's so inclusive in that fact. But yeah, uh, so I think what we're going to do now, folks, is we're actually going to switch tables here. We're going to switch chairs, I mean. Arin is going to ask me a couple questions about SafeWalks, and I'll answer whatever you got for me. And I can definitely also fill you in on some details for SafeWalks here, too. But yeah, we say at the top of the show, we're not paid or promoted by any of the services at all. But the only reason why I volunteer my time is because, you know, I have family members that live in those areas. I have friends that live in those areas. And much like you were saying, I look and reflect at moments like that where people get assaulted and I have to think about the people I love, like it could happen to them. And what happened with the Asian community this past, you know, let's be honest, it's been happening more than this past couple of years and months. But to see it be so blatantly put out into the universe over and over again is terrifying. And that to me puts the motor in my back i know for many other people on the team too to make sure we do help people feel safe and i think it's working great especially with the chinatown team so many of them are offering flyers to the elderly in those communities to make sure they know how to contact us because not everyone has a smartphone especially when you're older you know and it's tougher to get a a hold of some people like that but yeah I, i think that's truly the beauty of it is how we are inclusive in the sense that we allow anyone to be on the team as well as we Really make sure that we go out our way to help as many people as possible. Whoever can access us, they have access to us, in other words. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And it services basically, as far as I know, the entirety of the city, really, right? Right. We're, we're kind of trying to branch out. So we have teams. Currently, we have two teams in Brooklyn, and we have a couple teams in Manhattan. But we're trying to branch out more and more. Obviously, Queens is a very, you know, uh, a lot of people do get assaulted over there, too, and we're not blind to that, but we, we want to make sure that, you know, like I had mentioned, it's many people that live in those neighborhoods, but we, we definitely are trying to expand. Obviously, with New York, it's a lot of people, so there's definitely a lot of people involved in the cause and a lot of people that would definitely use the service, too, so the more notoriety it gets, the better. Yeah. And I saw they just announced that the, the, uh, that the subways were going to be 24 hours starting in, was it July? Oh, breaking news. Yeah. If that's the case, then yeah, I mean, I'll be honest, most of the people we do get requests from are people coming home from work off the subway or just people using transit. So if that is the case, you know, uh, I know I've been walking home late at night in Brooklyn and I don't feel safe as a man, you know, like, and that's just me saying that. But I think that's also a good thing to call out is that if you don't feel safe, regardless of gender, regardless of race, that's what we want to do. We want to make sure you can reach out to us. I had that wrong. It's actually not July. It's May 17th. Yeah, New York's 24-hour subway service to resume on May 17th. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's so, um, so, yeah. So, I guess walk us through the process. Like, like what, what would the whole kind of process be if somebody were to contact SafeWalks yeah. NYC? Like, how would you get them from point A to point B? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, the way it works, you go to safewalks.com. So, it's S-A-F-E walx.com and right there it'll literally give you uh what we're about what we do but it'll also say like request a safe walk and you just click on that you'll fill out a google form and we typically ask for just an hour's notice just so we can make sure we do get people enough time to get ready and get out there to help them out but yeah we will then send very many team members have been volunteering actually so we've been sending like teams of six people sometimes for one person but we'll wear the highlight of S, we'll go out to you, we'll meet you at your destination, and or sorry, we'll meet you at your meetup point and get you to your destination. And yeah, at that point, we just part ways. And a thing I like about it is that because we're sending out so many people that live near each other, those people are also getting home safe as well. So if you want to volunteer for SafeWalks, there's also a link for that in the exact same website where you see the request form right next to it is volunteer. So... What I would recommend is definitely checking out our services, definitely checking out what we do. I think it's a great cause. And if you live in New York City, definitely you know tell your friends about it because the more people that know about it, the more they can volunteer their time. Because that's the important thing. With it being New York, we have very many teammates, very many volunteers. So you kind of want that because a lot of people work graveyard shifts, for example, so they can help people early in the morning if need be. A lot of people work normal nine to five, so they can help a lot of people that get off at nighttime. So the more diverse of our team, the more people on our team, the more accessible the service can be. We also do post-ups. We do post-ups at different locations throughout the city. We've hung out at parks. We've been in front of train stations. We've kind of done long walks across like certain boroughs, but we just try to get attention that way. And a cool thing to me is that it's such a community community involved aspect of post-ups we've had to help people you know with groceries we've helped people with directions in different languages 
you want that because, like I said, it, it, for example, in certain areas of Brooklyn, it's larger Spanish-speaking communities. In certain areas in Manhattan, it's larger um, Chinese-speaking communities or other languages. So you want to make sure you get a diverse crew to communicate. Communication is key. Yeah, it's like, I think I may have described it as modest, but it's really incredible. I mean, it's just an incredible idea, uh, incredible organization. And like here, just hearing, hearing it straight from the <laughs> it's good. The horse's source. mouth, I guess. I don't know. Straight from the source, not the horse's <laughs> mouth, but straight from the source is actually is really quite inspiring. I so deeply appreciate any service organization whose like chief goal is to truly just help somebody get from place they needed to go to a place they want to go safely. So like I mentioned, Peter has started because the police was there after the fact. So we believe in not policing our community. You know, this this movement of the past year of, you know, the civil rights movement, I call it, but the Black Lives Matter movement that we witnessed, you know, it really rung a lot of bells. And for New York City to constantly send these police officers to then question women who have just been assaulted, like, well, why didn't you do this, that, the third? to prevent that. You know, you don't want that. You want to be there for that person before the event happens and make sure they're protected. Right. So we're, we're a community. We're, we're not policing the community. We're a community. We're there for the people in the community. Yeah. That's awesome. So to donate- I love this reversal. This really, this really, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this, yeah. I'm so used to being on the other end of these conversations. So this is amazing. Thank you so much. This is cool about the Uncommon Gym. Anything flies. I can be in the hot seat any second. <laughs> <laughs> so to donate, you go to the same website, but I'll repeat it. It's safewalks.com. S-A-F-E-W-A-L-X.com. And there'll be a donation link right there. We have a Venmo. We have a Cash App. We also have a GoFundMe. These donations would be going into actually helping us make an app because believe it or not, it's kind of hard without an app to get in touch with many, many people. So we're trying to save up money to make an app that way it can be even more accessible and we can help out even more people. But yes, uh, definitely check it out. Definitely, you know, if you're into volunteering, I definitely say commit to it. You know, one thing I think is cool about it is that we've had people who are like, hey, I'm really tired. I don't think I can show up for a post up tonight. And then we get a request in from someone that lives like two blocks away from where they actually are staying. They're like, even though I'm tired, I'm still going to get up and help this person get home because it's only going to take me 10 minutes to walk them to their destination and literally go back home to my bed. And I think that's just so beautiful. I think that's just a great thing for, you know, human beings, you know, human beings actually helping each other out. (laughs) Um, Would it also, I imagine it'll also be helpful for people to volunteer as well in their communities? 100%. 100%. This is me speaking on myself, not for SafeWalks. I'm always of the mindset that if you're going to live in your community, you should be as much a part of your community as possible. Now, does that mean you have to interact with everyone? Not necessarily, but, you know, help out each other. Help help out each other as much as you can. People are going through it day and day. I think 2020, that showed very true for so many people that we're, we're just struggling out here. So let's all give each other a hand. It's really, no, it's really incredible. Um, I found out through SafeWalks, obviously, because I found out through Instagram. So if you want to follow them on Instagram as well, at SafeWalksNYC, would recommend yeah. that. Uh, so I guess, can I, should I hand over the show back to you? <laughs> thank you. Thank you, for, thank you for kindly giving me my reins back. <laughs> well, folks, I truly am very excited to hop into this one. So we always let the guests let us know they're in common gem and... When Arin messaged me his uncommon gem, I immediately was like, well, I know all about this stuff. So, Arin, do you mind telling the folks at home what your uncommon gem is? Well, how specific are we supposed to get? Should I just give you, I'm, I'm, I'm the Instagram up right now, so I'm looking it up. <laughs> um, what I wrote to Kevin was that my uncommon gem is movie action figure toy lines from the 1990s. <laughs> love it, love it, love it. I mean, Action figures were just a thing that I just haven't even thought of in so long, but it just threw me back so far into my life. You know, like I, I remember having bins of toys. I just loved that, you know, my cousins would come over and we'd play with them and just reenact movie scenes or even do movie scenes on our own. So I think this is a great, great uncommon gem. <laughs> oh, man. There was a psychotic. It's insane to think about like growing up. So I'm a 90s kid. I grew up in the 90s. And I think that there was definitely it's definitely a different landscape than it is now right now it's kind of like any like the only movies that get action figure toy lines are ones that are folded into the dceu or the mcu or the higher end like premium 
you know, like I've never, I can't fathom spending like 20 or $30 for an action figure, even if I love like Back to the Future or, <laughs> you know, like collectibles. They're collect, they're meant for adults. So this is this period of time where there were legit, like hardcore action figure lines marketed to kids. <laughs> they're based on all of these r-rated properties that were just ridiculous i'm thinking about it now i'm actually looking at the list and i'm like the ones that i would want to focus on are the ones that are these hard r gory violent movies you couldn't bring a kid to the reason they created the r rating is because you shouldn't have kids watching this movie i had friends who they couldn't see an r-rated movie until they were 17 because that was their parents rule I guess this is a great place to jump in. The first R-rated movie that I'd ever seen, and this is going to age me. If you want to do all the math, that's fine. It was I when I was eight years old. The first movie I saw at the AMC in Deptford, AMC Deptford Age. Shout out to AMC to Deptford. Uh, was Terminator Two. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator Two. Judgment Day. This time he's back. Good. Trust me. Hell yeah. And I became quickly obsessed uh, for a couple of reasons. One, because John Connor seemed like he was like close to my age. So I was like, here's a teenager who uh, I was a kid, but like here is a young kid who was brought on this adventure. I, I love the idea that I could be part of this world. And little did I know, I could create this world with Terminator 2 action figures. Terminator! I'm back! Got to find John Connor! But evil T-1000 gets to him first! Hey, back off! Terminator's heavy metal cycle zeroes in and fires! Ah. But T-1000 stands to get even! This is for getting on my bad side! You're next, John Connor! I'm back! Terminator deploys his secret weapon! Hasta la vista, baby! Terminated this time! Terminator! Is back! Which is insane! <laughs> It's such a ridiculous idea to market these toys to kids who couldn't, who shouldn't be watching these movies. I don't know if I should have been watching Terminator 2. It will change my idea of parenting probably if I have a kid or any kids. Uh, <laughs> will I be as loose with the rules, you know? But just remember, there are a couple of great toys. Can we talk about the, the toys in particular? Yeah, this would be a great bit. Let us know as the ones that really appeal to you. <laughs> oh, man. All I remember is there's this great toy that was the T-1000. So the thing is, they got light. They seemed like they had image licensing rights for Arnold Schwarzenegger. So all their all his toys look great. They had some strange ones with like, you know, the exoskeleton or the very iconic skeleton or whatever. But the T-1000, it was almost as if they didn't have the licensing rights to the actor who played him, Robert Patrick. So they had this like big, bulky, because I'll show you the picture just so you can enjoy oh, this. Yes, but there was this, oh my God. Hold on a second. Uh, <laughs> let me see if I can find this. Oh, here we go. This is great. <laughs> So, so they had a couple of waves. If you know about action figures, they have waves. And <laughs> the first wave was definitely, it felt like they realized they had this gigantic hit, so they wanted to rush out some, some action figures. So the first T-1000, which is the liquid metal guy, his action figure was so bizarre. Because <laughs> basically, it didn't look like the actor. It didn't look like Robert Patrick. But it also had this weird extra accessory. Uh, so its legs were stationary because it couldn't move because it had a rocket launcher. Now, you'd assume that a rocket launcher would be like a totally normal place. Where would you think a rocket launcher would be? Would it? As a ter oh, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming they would just use it for an arm. <laughs> you'd assume. But they had an action figure where the rocket launcher was an arm. And that was an Arnold action figure. But no, you're absolutely wrong because this action figure... Its rocket launcher was actually built into his ass. <laughs> I have it at home. I'm not going to have it here. I did not, it did not make the move up to New York. But basically, <laughs> what would happen is like the head had this like weird kind of thing. It was like on like a weird kind of hinge where if you press the head down, then its ass would pop up, revealing like these two rockets that would that, like, they weren't even like spring powered. You had to flick them. 
Um, and it was just like, it was the most bizarre, like, I'm sure there are documentaries or pieces where they talk about like the thought of how these things were created. But like, as a kid, I was trying to mainline, I was obsessed with Terminator 2 because I'd seen it at eight years old and eight years were very impressionable. Mm. And I want to have every bit of ephemera as I, as I could. And so these action figures were like my holy grail. And so I gladly played with this T-1000 with an ass rocket launcher. <laughs> it's the most bizarre. I, I can't, I don't even, I don't even know. It's so ridiculous That's beautiful. you know i i want to be to be a fly in the wall when they actually showed that to the toy line like this is what we're putting <laughs> out in the store shelves i i would love that moment i think what you said though is really great because like you said um they made our movies for that sense like these are just for adults this is it but meanwhile these action figures did have commercials with children playing with them like in the commercials so it's like such a mixed message of what is this movie or who is this movie for really like right. <laughs> right 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 but like yeah and so and there were definitely uh action figure toy lines where i would get the toys and then would see the movie long after <laughs> uh one of my favorite examples is when i was i remember this this is a this is like a burn to my memory it was what was it there was this terrible blizzard in 1993 and so like it was like a succession of like these snow days or whatever and i was like at home i had nothing to do i was bored as hell and then eventually it cleared up so it was like the weather was good enough for us to travel short distances but not good enough for us to go back to school i guess whatever and i remember that our department store that was like basically like walking distance from my house and I went with my dad and he was going for like legit reasons as you would go for the department store. And I went to the toy section as I would always do. I remember on clearance, there was this like rack of toys for the movie Demolition Man. In the future, you have to defrost a cop to put a criminal on ice. Sylvester Stallone is John Spartan, the Demolition Man. The toughest cop in the 21st century. But Wesley Snipes is cold-blooded Simon Phoenix. Simon says freeze! Uh, now fry like a chicken, chicken. But Demolition Man always keeps his cool. Hey, you didn't say Simon says. The future isn't big enough for the both of them. Demolition Man, figures of Bola Jet, sold separately, new from Mattel. Oh. <laughs> and they were all on sale. So I was just like, Dad, get these. <laughs> And he looked at the price. He was just like, yeah, just get all of them, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> so I went home with like this stack of Demolition Man action figures. And if you don't know Demolition Man, the idea of Demolition Man, but basically the movie starts. Underrated with, movie for one. Underrated movie. Oh, oh, it rules. It fucking whips. <laughs> it's so cool. It's awesome. But <laughs> Demolition Man, basically, it's like Sylvester Stallone versus Wesley Snipes in the future. It's still in the future when Taco Bell has taken over, has won the fast food wars. But it opens with a scene in in the, in the future at the time. This was, well, I want to say this was in 1993, but it takes place in the crazy future of 1996, where uh, <laughs> Hollywood and LA has gone through the fucking shit and is this war zone. And basically, they had to create this premise, whereas Wesley Snipes as Simon Phoenix had to be frozen because of all the terrible crimes he did. But Sylvester Stallone also had to be frozen as well because of some mistake he made. His mistake had to be so heinous as the hero. So in the opening scene, basically, he has, Sylvester Stallone has Wesley Snipes dead to rights, captures him and arrests him and everything, not realizing that this bus of school children that Wesley Snipes had held hostage were actually alive. And by capturing him, like, was it the this bus of school children blew up? It was something like, it was something so terrible. Like it, it included like deaths of children as yeah. hostages. It was this crazy thing. And they created an action line out of it. <laughs> Which is insane. But like, you know, like I just remember like looking at the likeness of Sylvester Stallone and being like, this is fucking great. The funny thing about that action figure line though is the fact that it was uh, produced by Mattel and a lot of the molds from it were actually reused from the, not the original He-Man line, but like when oh. they did a second run of He-Man action figures, they used a lot of the molds as different characters in the 
<laughs> for the different characters <laughs> in the movie, even characters that didn't really exist. It's pretty. It's pretty staggering <laughs> the way that like they would just. It was just so ridiculous. But like as a kid, you would just gobble this stuff up. You know, you know. I want to see Demolition Man. My other uncommon gem, I guess, if I wanted to make it, would be. <laughs> do you remember movie novelizations? Like you'd oh, be like yeah. books, or you'd be like the art of the it. movie novelization, where you're just like, I want to relive this movie. I can't see, you know, Demolition Man. So I'll just buy the novel and read it and assume that this is as good an experience as the movie. <laughs> they really fucked I, us up as kids. <laughs> they really did. I really, I really hope, like, the Demolition Man novelization translates so well as to what wacky shit goes on in that movie because that movie it was ruled. definitely up there. <laughs> if anything else, I mean, you know what it is? If I, like, I, I would feel like such a basic bitch, but I feel like Demolition Man would also be an uncommon. <laughs> Gem. Except it should be a common gem. That's the problem. Right. Is that everybody should know about Demolition Man. Check it out, y'all. It, it, you know what? We all have watched some pretty crazy action movies. I think you can sit down and watch this great action movie known as Demolition Man. I, I like what you said about how you had no idea what that movie even was because you hadn't watched it, but you still got those toys because that's definitely a thing <laughs> that kids just do. They like, they just like, oh, it looks cool, so I'm gonna get it. Yeah, and, I mean, there's there's a great there's a great action figure that of John Spartan, which is Sylvester Stallone's character, and he's in camo pants. No, not camo pants. He's like in olive green pants, in like this canary yellow sweater, and he has like this special action ability of doing like the super kick, <laughs> and it's just like I want to see this scene in the movie. I can't watch the movie right now, but I want to see the scene in the movie where he's wearing a canary yellow sweater and doing this split like Jean-Claude Van Damme. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> it's so dumb. It's so... Yeah, action figures do give you unrealistic expectations about the content of the movie you're about to see. So I want to get into this a little bit because I think this is a large reason why these toys exist, like especially for R-rated movies, like you mentioned. Like you, you had just said the Masters of the Universe, you know, they, they had like hand-me-downs and just repainted them, right? But I think a large reason these toys exist is because of G.I. Joe's, because of He-Man, Transformers, stuff like this. Like very clearly the toy market was booming. So they're like, you know what? These parents, they're probably going to watch these movies and then eventually take their kids at some point. So let's, let's tack it on to the R-rated movies <laughs> aspect. Because I know for a fact oh. my dad took me to plenty R-rated movies that I should not have seen. Yeah, wait, what was... Uh, do you remember the first R-rated movie you saw? Oh, uh, I, not the first one I saw in theaters. I don't know. I, I feel like the first one that comes to memory was definitely Friday the 13th. Okay. I know they definitely definitely made some uh, toy lines for that. But it was definitely either a horror movie or something like that. Oh, man. And that's a great one. That would have freaked me out. I'm like, like, I'm very... It took me a while to get into horror. I'm like, big into horror now, but like... You know, it's so visceral. Like, oh, yeah. you can't, like especially at, a, at an impressionable age, you just think that your fears that you can project on the screen are real. And definitely how I felt about, like, Terminator. Like, it's so funny because you think about those, you think about the casual, like, rules that happen. I don't know if, I don't know if you want to jump into another toy line, but I'll tell you about an irrational fear. Because <laughs> the other thing that's also psychotic. So this is actually, it's not, uh, the part of the thing about the 90s as well is that they're creating certain toy lines based on, the insanity of wanting to make like animated cartoons from these things. Like they wanted to make them kid friendly and they tried, they actually dipped their toes with like Robocop. It's obviously an awesome movie. Everyone should have seen it. Right. If you're listening to the show, you should have seen it already. But then they also did one for Aliens. Oh, which that's right. Is crazy because they made the action figure line for Aliens. They're unstoppable, but we're going to stop them anyway. Send in the Marines. We're the Space Marines. Drake, Ripley, Eight Bone. Bishop, and I'm Hicks, armed with the latest high-tech heavy metal. Look out, Hicks! The Queen's gonna crown ya! My Buck Rocker's on a roll! Valerian attacking! Eat torch, bug brain! Alien invasion problem? Send in the Marines! Aliens! Send in the Marines! Space Marines! Aliens! For a cartoon that they never actually made it to air. Like, basically, the concept was that they wanted to make, like, these... The Colonial Marines, 
who got like fucked up. Like half of them <laughs> died in the first part of Aliens. Yep. They wanted to create a show where all of them survived and they're all hunting the aliens. Like the aliens are these lesser villains that you could clearly not get decimated by. And so they created this toy line that was honestly, it was awesome. It fucking ripped. You know, you had, cause you had Ripley, you had Drake, Hicks and A-Pone or whatever. And the, I think the success of that toy line, which was absolutely psychotic, ended up producing a toy line that was their crossover with the movie Predator, which is, <laughs> honestly, it's like, I have scars. I love Predator. Predator is one of my favorite action movies of all time. That franchise, like, I'm a ride or die for Predator. Part of it might be because it felt like a true triumph when I overcame my insane paranoia that predator was real <laughs> in the trees <laughs> yeah because you could, you could just be walking down the street and just get fucked up by a predator and the deaths were so gory and i remember in predator 2 it's funny when you watch those movies because terminator also has this like this is the lost art of i feel like franchise movies right now there are certain rules by which the villains operate and one of them with predator was it seemed like he had a rule that was like no women no children and so <laughs> he would like fuck up like gary Busey, or he would fuck up carl weathers but you know he sees a kid in his sights and he's like i'll let you go <laughs> or he has a female cop dead to rights like right. grabbing her by the neck and he'll let her go because women are children it's a very respectable rule and as a kid i was like i am scared for my life but at the same time i am totally in the clear because i'm a kid <laughs> i'm a kid with a predator action figure it's ridiculous i don't get it it's it, it, that didn't make me feel any better but like the action figure didn't but just like it's such a bizarre again we live in a time now you have to imagine this was a time when there was no collector's market or the collector's market was clearly for things that did no longer existed for like 20 or 30 years or whatever. And now we're so infantilized in a lot of ways that people can have use their disposable income to buy these highly detailed, immaculately created and accurate action figures and toys that they won't take out of the package or they will and deliberately have them on their, their mantle or on their like office desk or whatever, just mm -hmm. so nobody will touch them. They won't play with them. But that in this weird period of time, they were, they were just swinging at everything. They just wanted every <laughs> R rated crazy property to have rocket launchers and spring loaded, you know, cannons and ooze so that kids could truly get their money's worth out of oh, insane I was actually, when I was When I was researching it, I was looking at one of those aliens toys and I love the fact that they're like, you could fill this thing with water so you could spit acid. And I'm like, you know what? Okay. <laughs> right? Doesn't it make you, don't you just want to like go back and just feel like I, just... I, I I love that aspect though. I love that aspect of, I like that you mentioned the ass rocket because, you know, they're like, let's get wacky with it because obviously, you know, we're trying to make it for the kids and all that stuff but yeah I, there's certainly some appeal to just like it also allows the team to have fun you know it also has like because i think i saw there was like a crab alien like they tried to make and like it's just like oh others, yeah like, yeah yeah have never seen these movies uh in really scott's aliens universe you know like i think the first one that i got the first alien action figure that i got was the bull alien which looked like a rhino is the body was a rhino and the head was spring loaded to like have that charge to like push. <laughs> and it was cool, but it didn't make any goddamn sense. <laughs> a spring loaded head, like the head extended at least five inches out. It was so stupid, but I imagine that a lot of that was based on this abandoned, this, I wish that it existed, the cartoon. So that I would, so that I wouldn't seem like a insane person talking about it on a podcast. <laughs> but the fact that it didn't, and we still got the toy line, you know, that really made my uh, youth in a way. 
I wouldn't be yeah. who I am without this weird air of imagination, really. It's, oh, it's... I, I love that. Because that's the thing. I had mentioned, you know, we would get so many random toys. So to, to that notion, you know, we would literally have like Digimon on one side, but then on one part of my cousin's side of his toys would literally be like a spawn action figure with like decapitated demon skull and like a battle axe and like all this stuff. We're like, we're going to have the Digimon team up with Spawn today. <laughs> <laughs> there is something... that, that's that imagination. That's that expression that, you know, only toys could give to a child, you know? There is there is something also interesting that I think about now that when you ingest a lot of American cinema, you're not used to seeing yourself presented on screen. So the action figures are a way to kind of have control over the characters that mm. in a way you've been told maybe that you would never be in a way. And so I guess that maybe also as a latent effect of that uh, made me more inspired to be behind the scenes as opposed to like in front of the camera. It's, mm. you know, it's like the, it's the blessing and the curse of underrepresentation as an Asian of loving mainlining these incredible American movies. I mean, like aliens, predator, Terminator, demolition, man, demolition, man, especially um, <laughs> are really, you know, like those are movies that really defined a time for me. And I was maybe far too young to watch them. But at the same time, I loved every minute of existing in that world, in that world, and then having that opportunity to create the world with my own hands. You know, <laughs> was there anything else you would like to let the people know at home about '90s action figures? <laughs> yeah, they're not uh, unless you have some sort of emotional connection. They're not necessarily worth seeking out unless you want to see an ass rocket. Um, <laughs> I don't think they're creating ass rockets in 2021, but yeah, if you can get a bunch of them, maybe on eBay, I feel like you should definitely, it's a, it's a fun rabbit hole to go down. There you go, folks. Definitely check it out. And yeah, d watch those commercials because you'll see just, just how fun it really is. Oh, works. shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You mentioned the commercials. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. The commercials are hilarious. Oh, and also if I can have a shout out for a great, great parody of the commercials, SNL did this amazing I have such a great memory of this because I'll tell you why after, but basically they did this amazing commercial parody advertising action figures for the movie Philadelphia. Your home, Philadelphia action figures. There's gay attorney Andrew Beckett with flamethrower and launching net action. And Beckett's evil law boss with lightsaber and ninja sword. You've got it! You're fired! No, you're fired! There's <laughs> Which is the... Tom Hanks, as a lawyer, gets fired for having HIV, and they made a spoof because at the time the, the action figures were rampant, so this actually tracked really well. But SNL did this amazing like product commercial for it, a perfect amount of time. Like so, one of the things that one of the things that I always get prickly about is any parody that exceeds the amount of time. Like a trailer parody should be the length of a trailer. A commercial parody should be the length of a commercial. You're not any funnier by making it longer. So this is like a perfectly timed commercial. <laughs> and I just remember it just gets gradually more and more absurd where they have uh, was it the Philadelphia mobile where it's just Tom Hanks in this like <laughs> car, his lover who's played by Antonio Banderas they put a head on a transformer and then say he transforms into a jet with a rocket. <laughs> <laughs> it was so tough. But the oh, best thing that. is, I remember watching it as a kid. I did not truly appreciate the genius of it because as a kid, I was like, oh man, they used like a Transformers action figure for that body. And they used like, uh, you know, like a Star Trek figure for that body. And I was, I was geeking out on the action figures I could recognize that they used to make these fake toys. Um, and you can realize why I am going to die alone, I guess. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you didn't realize we are going to get grim by the end of this episode, did you? <laughs> well, folks, please definitely check out some old school action figures, you know, and yeah, just ch check it out on Google Images. You'll see some fun toys, some fun designs. As always, you can go to SafeWalks, that's S-A-F-E-W-A-L-X.com to find out how to donate, how to volunteer, and find out a little bit about SafeWalks. It's, it's a great service. You know, we're just trying to make sure people get home safe, people are safe in their communities, and that it's accessible for as much people as we can make it accessible to. Arin, uh, what, what do you got going on? Where can the people find you these days? Oh, man. You can hit me up at PhotoJuice on Instagram. 
yeah, that's usually where I post most recent work. And uh, honestly, DM me if you're looking for a good show. If you're in New York, I photograph a lot of the best of them and can definitely recommend you a good time as we're reopening the city. 100%. As a person that's definitely reached out to him, I can say it's just a great experience. Really make sure that you are positioned in the right way and the lighting's the right way and that you're in the right environment. And I really got to say, you know, thank you for that headshot experience because it was one of the best experiences with a professional I've ever had and it, you really captured like some of the best of me in that sense. I <laughs> uh, no, you know, you look like a million bucks right now even. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. So yes, please check him out at Photojuice. Arin, any last words for the people before we head out? No, just uh, stay safe out there. I hope that you guys have a great spring and a great summer. Hell yeah. As always, folks, we'll be back next Friday. Check us out Spotify, YouTube, Google, Apple, SoundCloud. List goes on and on. And we'll always have our donation and everything in the bio of our Instagram and Twitter. So definitely check that out, too. Thanks all again for listening. We'll be back again with episode 15 next week. Take care. (laughs) 